Good morning, everyone. Um, so we, the passage today is uh, from Jude. It's an interesting passage. It's not often you get to have a Bible reading where you expect the Bible reader to read the whole book of the Bible. But um, Jude is, is quite a small letter, but it's um, a very important letter that, um, that I think is very appropriate for us today, in, in, particularly in the Australian church. So let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer and ask for his guidance as we look at this passage. Lord, we thank you that every word of your, of your word, every word of the Bible we have here today is inspired by you. And Lord, is, is for our teaching, for our edification, for our challenge. And Father, we do praise you that it does show and reveal yourself to us. We praise you. You are the majestic God. You are the great God. Your son is, is the the author of salvation, the creator of this world. And we pray, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, our focus will be on him, on the foundation of our faith, and, Lord, that we'll be challenged, we'll be encouraged um, to trust your word and to be contenders of that faith that you've given us. So we ask for your blessing this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you can have that passage open, I'm not going to be going to too many other passages in the Bible. I'll be just referring mainly to that passage in Jude. But um, in verse 3, you read that Jude was very eager to write to the Christians about one thing, but then he's changed the tune of his letter and wrote about something else. Now, um, I remember once I had that experience where I went to, went to a, a manufacturing company, quite a large manufacturing company, um, with the intention of giving a presentation to senior management, and apparently the chairman of this company um, was going to be there. So I, I had my presentation ready, and it was about some management issues that they wanted me to, to cover. And um, I got to the company, it was out in the western suburbs, and I got there and the, the quality manager showed me in and introduced me to a few people. And then he took me to the shop floor, and there was a room probably just about the size of this, this corner here um, with a whiteboard. And then... So I sat down and got ready. I thought, well, this is quite interesting. I thought it would have been something a bit more posh. Um, and then the workers started working in, all the, you know, the fluoro vest people. And um, they were all different nationalities, like Indians and a lot of Chinese workers. Um, and they said, go ahead, do your presentation. And I'm thinking, okay, um, obviously I got the wires crossed. But um, it was supposed to be a management issue presentation, but it was to the shop floor. And I found out that half of them didn't speak English as well. So um, I had to quickly change and apply like what I was going to say to the senior management to, to their level, and fortunately there was a whiteboard there so I could use lots of pictures and things like that. But uh, sometimes in life we have to adjust, and depending on the circumstances that happen, and we find this in the letter of Jude. Um, and you may have had the same thing where you're writing an email about some issue and then something more important comes up, and you change your tact to adjust to those circumstances. And in verse 3, this is what happened to Jude. We see in verse 3 he felt that um, he had the, to write to urge the Christians to... Um, actually, he wanted to write about salvation. and um, But he changed his tact. So let's have a look at verse 3 there. It says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share... So he wanted to talk about something positive, the salvation we share. Um, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints... So he wanted to write about salvation, but he, he changed his tact and he wanted to encourage the Christians to, to contend for the faith. So we're going to be looking at that, that issue this morning. We want to look at why he changed his tact. 
Um, why was it so important to change? I want to cover three main points. So the first one is, why do we need to contend for the faith, which is what Jude is speaking about there? The second point is, what is this faith that we are to contend for? And thirdly, how do we contend for the faith? So the first point, why do we need to contend for the faith? If we keep reading from verse 3 there, in verse 4, we see the reason was for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. When we think about dangers to the church today, what comes to your mind? What do you think about when someone says, you know, um, wants to warn the church about certain dangers that come to the church? Generally, I tend to think about external things like persecution. Um, I think about a lot of the the suffering that the church is going through. Um, I think about the, the temptations the world provides to Christians and to the materialistic lifestyle that our society is. You think of that pressure from outside that wants to change us and mould us. There's also all the anti-Christian policy that governments tend to want to bring in these days um, that go against what, what we're all about. So we, we think of those dangers sometimes, the external dangers, but it's not the external dangers that Jude is referring to here. There's something which is even more dangerous to the church, and it's not the external pressure and persecution and society around us. And we notice in Acts chapter, um, and I might just have a look at that, what happens when churches do get persecuted? Is that dangerous? What happens to the church? And if you go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 4, that's on page 1085 of the Church Bible, just to illustrate the point of what happens when there is pressure from outside and persecution. What happens to the church? So Acts chapter 8, 1 to 4, and Saul was there given approval to his death. This is um, Saul who became Paul, um, gave approval to, for Stephen to die. And it goes on, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women to put them in prison. Now notice what happens here in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And we see there how the, the word of God um, spread throughout from Jerusalem and spread through all Judea and then went into the other parts of the world as, as a result of persecution. So actually persecution results in the church flourishing God uses that to flourish the church. So it's not the external issues that, um, that matter. So if we go back to Jude, chap- um, there's no chapters in Jude, it's just the one book. It's not the external dangers that matter, it's the internal dangers that Jude was concerned about. It wasn't from without, it was from within. So verse 4 he says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, so they don't have labels on them saying I'm a false teacher or I'm a godless you know, um, secret person who's here to destroy. There's no labels. On the outside they appear to be you know, genuine. Um, they appear to be Christians. And very difficult to distinguish from the outward appearance. 
But it's what they say that, and they teach is what's, what's causing the problem. They're deceivers. There's two things there it talks about they do. Firstly, verse 4, it says, they turn the grace of our God into a license for immorality. So they're saying, well, you know, you become a Christian, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, if you do wrong, we, we all make mistakes. God is a forgiving God. He'll allow that to pass. You can become a Christian, but then you can basically do what you like. And Romans 6 illustrates that too, where Paul says that... Um, Shall we go on sinning, um, that grace may abound? These people say that, you know. We all sin actually highlights God's goodness. So, it's, you know, it's not a big deal to, to do the wrong thing. And we see that today. One of the greatest threats to churches is actually not, not uh, the external thing, as I said, but it's actually people who say they're Christians and just slightly twist the word of God. Um, and try to say that well, it's, it's fine, you can, you can have Jesus as your saviour, but you don't necessarily need to have him as the Lord of your life. Um, you can just live the life whatever you like and just ask God to forgive you later, because he will. The second thing that they teach, which is wrong, is also found in verse 4 there. It says, they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Um, and Titus... 116 also says that they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. So they're denying the lordship of Jesus. Um, they, deny, they say, well, you, yep, you can become a Christian, but Jesus doesn't necessarily have to be lord of your life. You don't have to be obedient to him. Um, you can you know, just live the Christian life. So it's, it's quite deceptive. And the average Australian likes those two points. The average Aussie likes to know that, well, if there is a God out there, I'm not a bad person, he's loving, he's gracious, and in the end he'll, you know, he'll be right, I'll be right, he'll let me off. I know I've made some false mistakes, but you know, not, I'm not as bad as someone else. So they like to know that. They like to know that God is gracious and forgiving. And secondly, they let, when it comes to Jesus, well, you know, he was a good bloke, he was a good man, he did a lot of good things, his teachings are quite good, um, but he's not necessarily ruler of Australia, he's not ruler of our life, you know, um, we rule our own lives. We're, we're our own gods, in that sense. So there's those two things which is common in our culture today. And a lot of church leaders accommodate that. A lot of people within the church accommodate those two areas there. Um, and you find a lot of teaching you hear on TV is along those lines, that God is loving and that you are in charge of your life. You've got to think positive. You've got to you know, do things, initiate things, um, irrespective of what God you know, has over your life. So people like to hear that, and a lot of people cash in on that, and we saw in there that the, these leaders also use that teaching to make a profit. So the threat is within, and because it's within, it's every believer's duty to contend for the faith, and this is what Jude's trying to say, we need to contend for the faith. So, I mean, it's interesting today that um, we sort of rely a lot on Joel. Um, he does a lot of... You know, we, we sort of take, assume that, you know, Joel's always going to be there and be ready to preach at, you know, any call and, and visit people at any call. But um, it's really the obligation of every believer to contend for the faith. And Jude is saying this to the Christians. He's not saying it to the leaders of the church. He's saying it to believers that we need to be ready to, to give an account for the faith, to contend for the faith and to fight for the faith as individuals. Because no one's perfect. Even Joel's not perfect. Um, and we see in, you know, the history of the church where leaders have fallen because people put their trust in the leader rather than in Christ. So our trust should be in Jesus, not in the leader. And as individuals, we have a duty to contend for the faith. So, And you think about it, if it was relevant in Jude's time, 
And how close were they to Jesus and to Paul and to Peter? Um, how much more relevant is it today? Because we're quite a distance away from you know the time when the gospel came out. So it's much more relevant today that we contend for the faith. So that's my first point about why we need to contend for the faith. The second point is what is this faith that we are to contend for? Now I'll just briefly talk about what it means to contend. Um, I don't know if everyone, anyone's tried to swim along a river that's sort of flowing and try to swim against it. Um, it's quite difficult. And in the surface, the same thing. If it's moving, you're trying to swim against it. It's not, it's not difficult. It is very difficult. Um, but if you stop swimming in a flowing stream, what happens? You tend to go backwards, don't you? You don't sort of stay at the same spot. So contending gives that image that we need to keep striving. We don't stop. It's a continual effort. Um, and similarly in our Christian lives, if, we, if we're not growing in our Christian lives, then we're, in a sense, going backwards. So we need to keep you know, looking at God's word and studying God's word and meditating on it so we, and, and meeting with his people and, and putting into practice what we learn so that we grow. And that's the idea of contending. It's not just a one-off event. It's something that we do continually. So what is this faith that we are to contend for? Well, there is a personal faith that we all have when we trust in God. God opens up our hearts and we see that Jesus is Lord and um, we put our trust in him. So there's a faith there that we have, a personal faith. And in a sense, it's a subjective faith because it's applied to us. But the faith that it's talking about here isn't a subjective faith. If you have a look at verse 3, it says that, um, I was eager to write to you for the... I felt I had to write an urge to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So this is talking about the faith that was entrusted to God's people, to the saints, to those that wrote God's word. Um, it's the body of truth that we have as, as believers, that the word of God has been recorded for us um, through the apostles, through the prophets, and written down for us in his word. That's, that's what it means here that we need to contend for. It's that faith that it refers to. And it says this faith was entrusted once for all. So it's not something that changes. It's a, it's a faith that's historical, that's objective, and that is unchangeable, and it comes from God. Um, you see many religions that spring up that try to say, well, God's word isn't quite fixed. You know, it changes. God's revelation hasn't just stopped in Jesus. It actually continues on, and we have other prophets that come and you know, like um, Joseph Smith and the Mormons, they say, well, the Bible keeps progressing and changing. And even Muhammad came, you know, they say that he came with the Quran, which was an additional re re revelation of God's word, which is a more modern one. And so it's a more sure one. But the faith that Jude here is saying we need to contend for is, has been given and entrusted to us once for all. It does not change. Um, and there's a lot of pressure on us from society, from government to adjust, cultures change, you know, laws and policy change. And people say to us, well, you know, God's word needs to adjust with that too. You know, Christians, te the teaching of the church needs to adjust to keep up with society. And they call people like Christians, they call them anti-progressive or, you know, fundamentalists or, you know, legalistic because you're stuck in a certain way. And it was really interesting last week when Joel put up our 100-year-old um, uh, statement of faith for the church 100 years ago, 
how we haven't changed one bit from what um, our forefathers of this church have have um, set up as a constitution or a statement of faith, because God's word doesn't change. I mean, we might adjust the language a bit, but we do not in- adjust the interpretation of God's word. God's word does not change, and we don't adjust the interpretation to suit society. So truth is truth. In any culture, and if we look around today, we've got quite a few different cultures. It's almost like spot the Aussie. Um, but God's word is truth. It doesn't matter what culture it is. It doesn't matter whether you know, some of us have houses, some of us rent. You know, it doesn't matter how much money we've got. Truth is still truth. Okay? It doesn't matter what time period it is. It could be 20 years in the future if Jesus hasn't returned. Or it could be two or 300 years in the past. God's truth does not change. And so the faith that we are to contend for is, is a reliable faith. And it is a sure faith. And so it's worth contending for. It's the precious word of God. So why do we need to contend for the faith? Because the, the problem is within, there's a danger within that we could be corrupted and we need to make sure that we have a duty to contend for the faith. What is the faith that we have to contend for? It's God's word. It's the teachings that we, we have received through the ages from the apostles and the prophets. So lastly, how do we contend for the faith? How do we do it? Well, from verse 17 to 21, we have four main, main ways that we can contend for the faith. So we go to verse 17. Jude says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Sorry. Yep, I'll keep going. They said to you, In last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. So the first way we contend for the faith is we build ourselves up in this faith. And so we need to know what it is. You know, we need to know what God's word's about. We need to study it. To be able to build ourselves up. And buildings don't go up in one day. You know, they go up brick by brick, okay, piece by piece. And so, so it is with our faith. We build on that, on the foundation of Jesus and our salvation, and we, we add to that knowledge. And it's not just knowledge, but we actually put it into practice, so we experience it, and that becomes part of us. One, someone once told me a, an equation. I don't know if anyone here likes physics and maths, but... Um, they talked about growth and how we grow as Christians. And the equation for growth, they said, was growth equals truth, so it's God's word, plus obedience. So we have the truth of God, so we read his word, we take it in, but then we have to add obedience and apply it. So growth equals truth plus obedience. And it made a lot of sense to me, and there's lots of scriptures that actually demonstrate that. So we are to build ourselves in that faith. Now in Jude, there's probably quite a few sermons on on um, how God actually takes the initiative. In the beginning it says God calls us, God keeps us, God loves us, and they're all passive uh, verbs. But we have a responsibility too. And even though God does call us and he does love us and he does keep us, 
We have a responsibility to build ourselves in the faith, and it's asking us here to build yourselves up in that faith, to, to learn, to study, to meditate, and to, to grow in the faith that God has given us. The second way we contend for the faith, so we build ourselves up, the second way there is in verse um, 20 as well. Dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a bit of a contrast here. There's lots of contrast between what Jude says in these, pas- in these verses and then what he says about the, the godless. For example, there's a contrast about um, the false teachers that deny Jesus as Lord and the very foundation of the faith there in verse 4. So we build on the foundation of Christ. These false teachers deny the very foundation of the faith. And similarly in the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 19 that um, these false leaders do not have the Holy Spirit. They follow after their natural instincts. But we're encouraged to pray in the Spirit. What it means is that we pray in line with what the Spirit teaches and in line with God's will. So we don't go off on our own natural instincts like these false teachers did in verse 19. We don't go off and do what we want. We do what God wants. And the way we find out what God wants is through his spirit in us that enlightens us to know his will. And Romans talks a lot about the, the spirit actually praying with us, but praying for us with groanings that we can't utter. So we are to pray in the spirit. It's not just reading prayers out, although it's good sometimes to read the prayers that are in the Bible, um, but it has to be a spiritual thing because it's a spiritual battle. And because it's a spiritual battle, we need to have spiritual um, resources to do that and it's God's spirit in us that helps us to pray okay so we build ourselves up in the faith we pray in the spirit and then in verse 21 it says keep yourselves in God's love so again um, God keeps us in his love and we see that both at the beginning in Jude and also in the doxology DM there that God it's God who keeps us but we have a responsibility we have a responsibility to keep ourselves in God's love So we need to watch over ourselves. Um, and how do we show that we love God? And I won't turn in this passage, but John 15, verse 9 to 10, tells us that when we obey his commands, um, we actually remain in his love. So love isn't just some feeling that we have, but it's actually obedience, it's sacrifice. Jesus demonstrated his love to us in sacrificing himself. Um, we demonstrate our love to each other by doing things for each other, by um, sacrificing ourselves for each other, but by obeying God's word and putting to practice what he wants us to do. So we keep ourselves in his love by, by doing that. So we build ourselves in the faith, we pray in the spirit, we keep ourselves in his love. The, the, the fourth main way that we contend for the faith is we wait for the mercy of our Lord. So in verse um, 21... It says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others out of the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Okay, so there's, other, there's another contrast in Jude that we see here as well. We see eternal life. We're to wait for Jesus to come to take us into eternal life. But it talks about judgment as well and how these um, false teachers are going to be um, judged. So there's a contrast of judgment and life, eternal life. Um, But we can't kid ourselves. Judgment is real. 
and it's going to come. And we see examples there in, in Jude about the nation of Israel that was judged, God's people. Um, we see the angels who were judged. We see Sodom and Gomorrah that, that was judged. And judgment is real, and people don't like to hear that today. Whenever you mention judgment or um, eternal separation from God or hell, they sort of try to they cringe or they don't want to hear about it. But it's, that's reality. And in the bulk of Jude and many passages of the Bible talk about that. But we need to be ready. Okay, so we saw why we need to contend for the faith. We saw what this faith is we need to contend for. And we saw four, reason, four ways that we could contend for the faith. To build ourselves up to pray and to keep ourselves in the Holy Spirit and also to wait on the mercy of the Lord in his second coming. But also there, it, there's a bit of an urgency that we need to tell the gospel to people too. To, it's like we snatch them out of the fire. And it's not necessarily what we say to them many times, but it's how we come across. And it's clear there that we need to be merciful and compassionate when we do that. Um, people listen more to how we say things rather than what we say these days. So we might be able to come and say, well, you know, you know there's judgment coming, you need to repent, turn from your sins. Um, but we need to be careful how we do it. And it's very important that we watch, that we do it in a compassionate, respectful way, but also in an urgent way. And we see that in those verses there. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save, save them. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. So we've got to be careful that there's lots of sin around in the world and there's lots of, you know, we sometimes we think, well, well, we'll go and talk to the people. They might be down the pub. But there's lots of things around that might contaminate us. So it's sort of got the impression there that we need to just be careful that we don't... Um, get contaminated by some of the things that happen in the world. God will protect us, but we need to be urgent in our appeal to people that Jesus is coming. Okay, so God's word is trust, trustworthy. So for Christians, I want to encourage you to do those things, to build yourselves up in the faith and to pray in the spirit um, and to keep ourselves in God's love, to be obedient to him and also to look forward to his coming. Let's, let's have a look at that and assess ourselves against those four criteria today and see whether we, we truly are um, keen to contend for the faith. But for those that aren't Christians, there's also another contrast in this passage. It talks about contenders, but it talks about pretenders as well. So are we contending for the faith or are we pretending? There's lots of people within the church that come along, but um, again, we, sometimes we put on an open... We put on a a coat when we come into church to show that we're a certain type of person. But are we actually contending or are we pretending? We need to think about what's the state of our heart? Have we acknowledged that Jesus is Lord of our lives? Have we repented and turned to him? Because in the end, it's only God's word that's going to last. And if we, I'll close off by looking at Peter, um, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, and that's found on page 1,201 of the Church Bibles. 1,201. So God's word is trustworthy, it's unchangeable, it's reliable. For all men are like grass, and all the glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. 
but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that we preach to you. So God's word is eternal. It stands forever. Everything else that we do, everything else that we say will just fade away just like the flowers of the field and our lives won't be remembered. It's only what we do for God that matters. So I encourage you today just to consider that if you're Christians, be encouraged and um, all the more you know, seek to dedicate our lives to God. But if we're not, don't be like the, the, the um, people of Jude's day that denied Jesus' authority and they thought, well, it's just a licence to live an immoral life. Don't assume that God is not going to you know, um, hold you to account for the things that you've done in your life. So let me encourage you to acknowledge him as Lord of your life. Okay, let's spend some time in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for your precious, unchangeable word. We thank you, Lord, that you've made it um, apparent for us. You've revealed it to us. We thank you for the mercy you've shown us in Jesus. And, Father, as we now come to um, look at what Jesus has done, we pray that you might be just challenging us. If we're your people, Lord, we pray that we might be uh, spurred on to love and good works. Lord, but if we don't know you, Lord, we pray that we might just observe this, um, these symbols here today in, in communion and um, consider, Lord, where we stand before you. And we know, Lord, you are the great judge. And even though you are merciful and, and loving, you are also holy and just, Lord. And so we, we just pray that your spirit might be working amongst us and we ask in Jesus' name.